power of story. The power to have your story altered with divine intervention from a God who created the expanse of the universe. A universe that is continually expanding to the farthest reaches of space. A galaxy that is, contains billions and billions of stars and billions of galaxies that are out there. The one who created it all wants to alter your story. You are important to him. We are important to him. And when we open today and we look in Genesis chapter 6, and we see kind of where the world was at this stage of the game, there's nothing more important than a God who will work with our story. In Genesis chapter 6, and much like what I told you last week, that evil was crouching at the door. If you look in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 of the passage, it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Evil, in other words, was lurking all around them, just as evil lurks all around us at any given moment. Every inclination of the thoughts of the human race were only on evil all the time. I want you to imagine that. Imagine every inclination of the human heart was always on evil all the time. That is a bad state of affairs. And as bad as it is today... It could be a lot worse. The human race had gotten to a point that everything that they thought, everything that they focused on, the thoughts of the race of humanity was on evil all the time. And yet the God who had created this universe, the God who created the human race, who everything that he created was good, suddenly was doing things evil, suddenly was thinking evil thoughts all the time. And you and I sit comfortably in our 21st century homes here in this country, and we are naive to assume that evil is not lurking at our doorstep. We are naive to assume that evil is not all around us. In fact, if you take a copy of today's Elizabethan Star, you'll see in that first section of the paper, uh, section A, now they kept the bad stuff off the front page, which is encouraging, but if you turn to, turn to page 2 and 3, you'll read about burglaries, you'll read about crimes, you'll see the arrests that have been made. Evil is not in Atlanta. Evil is not in Charlotte. Evil is not in uh, Knoxville or Nashville or Memphis. Evil is right here in Elizabethton. Sin is right here in this place. At 211, I'm sorry, 212 East F Street, sin is in this room. And in this very room where we are singing praises to God, where we are fellowshipping with one another, where we're talking about the redemption of Jesus Christ and His amazing grace, sin is present in the lives of our people. You are carrying with you today sin. You are carrying with you the potential to sin. And the question is, what are you, what am I going to do about it? Now we can smile at each other and pretend like it's not there and we can kind of pray that that reality will go away. But it doesn't change the reality. 
that you and I are fallen creatures. That you and I, as a part of this human race, are sinners. We may have been saved by the grace of God, but being saved by the grace of God does not mean that sin no longer is in our lives. Sin continues to affect our lives. We continue to sin. As long as we draw breath, we will continue to sin. Are we treating sin and putting it in its rightful place? Do we recognize the enemy for who he is? Do we know who we are fighting? Because evil is lurking all around us. And in chapter 4, verse 7, as I preached on last week, it's crouching at the door. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it's seeking to devour us. Evil is not other than us. It's not somewhere out there. Evil is here at our home, in our space, in our place. And with so much evil around us, many of us will begin to wonder if there is any hope. I want you to look back at Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only on evil all the time. Then verse 6, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. God's heart is deeply troubled. Troubled. Why is it troubled? Because the race that he created, the human beings which was the prize of his creation, which was the, the diadem in his eye, so to speak, which was the, the most important and the best thing that he made, that he put on this earth, that very thing was focused on evil all the time. The very thing that was made in his image has now become tainted. And he gets to a point between Verse 5, verse 6, and verse 7, that God regrets ever having made the human race. And it says that God's heart is deeply troubled. I want to kind of give an illustration perhaps of what that's like. How many of you have ever really had a, a troubled heart? How many of you have ever really worried about somebody or thought about someone and you know their situation you know the decisions that they made and you wish that you can make decisions for them but you can't and all you can do is hope and pray and yearn and long that eventually they will turn to the right way and so you've got a troubled heart your heart is heavy or maybe your heart is heavy because of things that decisions that you have made choices that you have made that were bad choices sins that you have committed that have gone unconfessed things that you are guilty of that have piled up in your life and so your heart is deeply troubled God's heart was deeply troubled but here's the thing it's not his heart was not deeply troubled because God had done wrong his heart was deeply troubled because God ultimately knows that when you and I make the right decisions, we have a joyful, prosperous life. God's heart was deeply troubled because the race that he created that was in his own image was falling apart. The race that he created for so much and so more was settling for so much less. It was settling for the evil that was crouching at the door. And every thought of the human mind was not on praising God. Every thought of the human mind was not on doing good things. Every inclination of the human heart and mind was focused on doing evil. Transgressing. Going against God's way. God's standard. 
his image, going against what the human race was created. The human race was created to accomplish, purposed to be. And so many of us today look around ourselves and we ask, is there any hope? Is there any hope for generations? You and I who are having children today, one of the biggest discussions of my marriage was, do we want to have children? Do we want to bring children up in this world that we find ourselves in today? With so much chaos and so much evil and so many people speaking into their lives, so much technology speaking into their lives all the time. Are we sure that what's being spoken into their lives is of God? Or are we going to become victims of the world in which we have birthed our children into? And I have to tell you, it was we deliberated. We deliberated, should we bring children in to this world? And I remember talking to seniors, adults, and I said, you know, this is my concern. And they said to me, you know what? We thought the same thing. When we were raising kids, the world was getting worse and worse and worse. And we thought, I don't know if we should bring children into this world. But if you look in Genesis chapter 6, you'll see that the evil that God is dealing with that burdens his heart is really much worse than what we experience today. I can't say that every inclination of the human mind and heart is on evil all the time. I can tell you that there are a lot of people who have been swept away by evil. There are a lot of people who are under the oppression of the evil one. There are a lot of people who are demonically possessed. And you say, oh, I don't know if I believe in demonic possession. You better check yourself. Evil is real. Evil is alive and well. It is flourishing. It is not something that's out there. It is not that the enemy is roaming around with a pitchfork and horns. It is the evil that we so often categorize sometimes as good. Evil rarely presents itself as evil. It presents itself as innocent. It presents itself as good. It takes the capital T of truth. And just twist it just a little bit to accommodate the evil one. And then you and I, before we know it, are swallowed up into a miry mess that we never intended to be. Things that were innocent suddenly lead us to make decisions and choices that are not so innocent. And so we become victims of the evil that we allowed to crouch at our door. That we not only allowed to crouch, but that we invited inside. But you know what? It is never too late to clean up your house. It is never too late to sweep out and take out the trash. It is never too late to be done with this enemy that so often has raged havoc in our lives. But the time is of the essence. Evil was so prominent in this day and this time in Genesis chapter 6. God's heart is deeply troubled. In other words, God had heartburn. His heart burned for the evil and the lost and the dying because the Bible says in Matthew chapter 9 verse 13 that Jesus, that God did not come for the righteous. He came for sinners. He came for people like you and me. He did not come for those who were perfect. He did not come for those that were right. He came for those that were lost and dying and sometimes didn't even have a clue. He came for you and for me. 
But he did not come to keep us the same. He didn't come in order to give us a name badge so that we would be a part of his team or so that we would be identified as a part of his organization. He came, he came to radically change our lives. So the question is, has he radically changed your life? You have a story. God's heart is burning for you just as it burned for the human race. He did not come for the righteous. He came for sinners. His heart burns for people to be returned in right relationship and fellowship to him. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 6 that he was sorry that he had created a human race that is so often turned its back on him. Because God's desire is that he wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 14. God's desire, God's heart, God's focus is that everybody would come to him. That everybody's story would be altered and transformed by him. That we would find the grace that we need through the power of the cross and through the person of Jesus Christ. And that that would give us perspective. And that would give us a hope when everyone around us is falling. When everybody else is focused and every inclination is on evil. We can see good despite the evil all around us. That is how we have hope. How do we have hope? Because Christ is not other than us. Christ is in the midst of us. His light is shining in the midst of our darkness. His light is shining in the midst of our individual darkness. Christ is not finished. That is the hope of the world. That is the light in the midst of the darkness. Show me a place without Christ and I'll introduce you to hell. Show me a person without Christ and I'll introduce you to someone who is experiencing hell. Because hell is the absolute absence of God. Hell is the absolute absence of any form of love that God created. And if you are going through this world without a relationship with Christ, I have no doubt in my mind that you are going through hell. You say, well, my life is pretty good. Is it really? <laughs> and if it's going good, just wait. Someone's going to die suddenly. You're going to get some kind of disease that you never planned to get. Then who are you going to cry to? You're going to be shipped off to war and sent in a foxhole. I can guarantee you this from hearing war stories from people from World War II, from the Gulf War, from Vietnam. There are no atheists in foxholes. Because when you and I are surrounded by an enemy that is destined to destroy us and kill us, the only thing that you and I can do is pray to God. No M1 is going to fix your situation. No M16 is going to fix your uh, situation. No artillery is going to fix your situation. Your situation and my situation must be fixed by the person who created the expanse of the universe, who created humanity in its own image. The same God who was burdened over humanity, who regretted making the human race because their inclination of their heart and mind was on evil but yet he didn't throw it all away he chose someone he chose an individual an individual whose story would be changed and as a result of that individual being faithful to God having his story changed by God being found in favor or in grace with God God spared the annihilation of the human race all because chapter 6 verse 8 Noah 
found favor or Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Once Noah found grace in the eyes of God, all bets were off. The story was going to change. God's heart was troubled. Because God was burdened for the evil and the lostness that what he saw in the people that he created. And I simply want to ask you this question. Are we as burdened for the lost as God is? Are we as concerned for lost people as God is? We tend to think that lost people are somewhere out there. They're just not here. Uh, We don't really know uh, any per se. I mean, we know... I mean, sure, I mean, there are people that may not come to church, but they're good people. They do good things. They don't cheat on their taxes. They help their family in times of need. There's an admirable husband. There's an admirable wife. They're a dutiful wife. They're a dutiful couple. They may not do this religious stuff. They're good people. God's going to see their works and be impressed. (laughs) If only we were saved by our works. Because it's not about being good. It's not about being great. It's not about helping someone across the street. It's not about giving your money away. It's not about being a good husband or being a good wife or being an obedient child. It's about the sovereignty of God, the grace of Jesus Christ. And has it intersected our lives? Has our story been changed by Him? The power of your story. power of your story. God was burdened for the lost. I have preached in my ministry over 300 funerals. I have probably attended another 300 of those funerals. I've shared the pulpit with people in most of those funerals who would say some words. I have preached over a lot of people That we didn't know their destiny. But I can tell you this. I've never been to a funeral where someone was preached that they were going to hell. I've never attended a funeral or preached a funeral or seen a funeral. I've been aware of a funeral where someone was preached about as this person lying in this box is probably in hell. We like to nostalgically believe that all of us in this room, when it comes time to go to glory, we're all going to go there in arms and sing in Rock of Ages. The fact of the matter is that the trumpet sounded in this moment, and if your interpretation of Scripture is that you're caught up in the clouds, if that's your interpretation of Scripture, the reality is this for that interpretation. That some of you would be sitting in this room when the trumpet sounded and you'd be looking at each other about what just happened. And you've been here all your life. You've served in Sunday school. You've been a Sunday school teacher. You may have been a deacon. You may have been a staff at another church. The reality is there are a lot of people that are under the delusion that they are believers. They're under the delusion that they're saved. Why? Because they can talk the talk. Theologically, they understand who God is. They can methodically come around it with their minds. But here's the, here's the thing. The most important thing to God in this passage is it says that God's heart burned. It was burdened. The heart 
is what matters. You can know God with your mind. You can know Him with all your might. You can know Him with all your strength. But does He know you? Do you know Him? Has this heart been changed? Has your story been altered? If it's not, you will be left behind. God's heart was deeply burdened. It was deeply troubled, we discover in verse 6. Are we burdened for the lost as God is? We gloss over a life like a whitewashed fence. As if some of our cute expressions or nice expressions or church words are going to wipe away the scars of sin and the reality of the burden of sin and the depravity that sin brings and that we think that we can uh, kind of get out of the way of the accountability to God that is destined to come about. We speak nice things to people. We encourage people. And I'm all about encouragement. But let me tell you something. I'm not about encouraging people to the point we don't tell them the truth. Because I don't want to encourage them to hell. We need to be honest about what Scripture teaches. We need to be honest about God. God is a loving God. But make no mistake, the other side of the coin and the face of God is that God burns in wrath against sin. God detests sin. He hates evil. And He doesn't want evil to have its dominion and authority and power over you or over me. That is His love. That in the same breath that he condemns evil, he gives hope through the person of Christ and says, it doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to be the recipient of my wrath. You can be a recipient of my love. Believe in Jesus Christ. Trust in Jesus Christ. Lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all of your ways. And he will direct our paths. Are we burdened for the lost as God is. Our theology, our beliefs about God is often a theology of convenience. We believe what is convenient to our situation in our time and in our space. And our understanding of God is constantly changing and we shape it and we mold it to fit our circumstance. But the reality is God doesn't change. Just because you and I want to change what we believe to accommodate people or to accommodate our own lives doesn't mean that it's altered his truth. His truth is the same. The same guidelines and principles that have directed the church since Christendom began are the same truths to today. The gospel of Christ never changed. We may change the way we present it. We may use technology to our advantage or disadvantage. But the truth of the gospel never changes. When we attempt to change or gloss over the gospel or change his words in order to accommodate, we give room for the evil one to do his bidding. Because the last thing that we need to do is give people a false sense of hope. People, you and I need to know where we stand we need to know where we're standing. We need to know whom we're standing for. We need to know the God who's created us for purpose and truth. We need to be trusting in Him. And we need to know that we 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 are followers of Jesus Christ. And if we don't know, the solution to that, in, that problem is coming to Him. 
Lord, help me in my unbelief. God, help me when I can't understand. God's heart was deeply troubled. It was deeply burdened. The beautiful thing is whether we're talking about Moses or Noah or Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or Samuel or David or Solomon or the prophets Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, Peter, or Paul. All of them are strung together by their story. And all of us are strung together by our story. And the story is like this. We all were born. We have all made mistakes. We continue to make mistakes. Our stories are the same in the sense that we will probably, all of us, die at some point. All of us will die. But the interesting thing about the Old and New Testament figures that I mentioned is that at some point in their story between birth and death or being taken up to heaven, as in the case of Ezekiel, God intersected their lives. His love, His favor, His grace changed the course of their story. And so I ask you today, has He changed the course of yours? Not have you jumped through the hoops to be a Christian. Not have you attended the right classes to be a Christian. Not that your attendance validates your faithfulness to Christ. But has your story been altered by the power of Jesus Christ? Have you found grace like Noah did? It says in verse 8, Noah found favor or grace in the eyes of God. And then we have this whole story about how God... Through his work, through Noah's story, saves Noah and his family and the human race. He provides a way where there seemed to be no way. Up until Genesis chapter 7 and 8, it had never rained on the earth. Water had always sprung up from the ground. Then suddenly rains come from the heavens. And the water begins to fill the earth. Thank God that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Thank God that Noah obeyed God and built an ark. Thank God that Noah got his family and the animals on the ark. Otherwise, the human race and much of the animal kingdom that we know today would have faced sure extinction. But all because, not Noah was faithful, all because chapter 6 verse 8 Noah found grace, favor in the eyes of God. That is what has the potential to change your story. That's what has the potential to make your life new. Grace makes the difference. It made the difference in Noah's life. Noah's future was affected by grace. Noah's life was prolonged by grace. And Noah was saved by God's grace. And the same is true for us. Jesse gave that testimony via video. And if you listen to the story 
It talks about how he was young. How he had an idea that God was the CEO. That church was about doing good things. But then, in a sequence of events, he read a book. He had a dream. But if you listen closely, he said, it was the book, it was the dream, but it was really God. God intersected Jesse's life and radically saved him. It was not that he was an evil person per se. It was not that every inclination of his heart and mind was on the evil of the world or on the evil of the enemy. But it was the fact that he was separated from God because he had never trusted in Jesus Christ. You say, well, I, don't, I think he'd have been fine. He, he hadn't reached the age of accountability because the age of accountability is the age of 12. I'm sorry, where is that in Scripture? So I can act like the devil until I'm 12 years old? Is that the, is that the, the mantra that I want to hear? Age of accountability. See, that's a, that is a glossing in my opinion. We want to make concessions for people. You say, well, we have to. What do we do about the children that die? I believe in a very gracious God. A God who loves people. Despite who they are. And there are children that don't know right from wrong. But I can tell you one thing. My eight-year-old knows what's right and he knows what's wrong. He knows. He's not age of 12. He knew when he was six. May have known when he was two and I was just fooled. <laughs> My three-year-old, she knows. She knows when she's done wrong. I'll call her down and then this is her stance. <laughs> I'm not looking at you. You're still a sinner, Abigail. Kids know a lot more than we want to give them credit for. And you say, well, what are we going to do about the children? Volunteer in vacation Bible school if you want to change a life. You want to see children come to Christ? You don't want them to go to hell? Then you spend time with them and teach them about Jesus. Age of accountability. God has the power to change your story. He's not finished with you yet. He's only begun. So I just ask you, if I had come to you and said, I want to video you and I want to put your testimony up there. You notice, did you notice his testimony? He didn't go through all the struggles that he had as an adolescent. He didn't go through all the mistakes that he made. I'd really like to have seen those. Because here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. Your testimony is not about your dirt. Your testimony is about the power of God to save an individual life. That's the story. That's the meat of it. Don't get caught up in what you didn't do or what you did do. Get caught up in Him. He has the power to save and change your life. What's your story? What's your testimony? As you think about your story, can you think and reflect in this moment, in this time, in this space, in this place? If there was a point, you may say, I don't know the date. I don't care if you know the date. I don't know the date when I was saved. I just know I was nine years old during vacation Bible school because people didn't want the child to go to hell. I'm plugging vacation Bible school. Make sure Leanne gets a soundbite of this. 
But in my own walk and in my own story, God had to intersect. And when I ask you about your testimony and your story, you can say, well, I was born here. I did this here. Somewhere along the lines, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to know what you did. I don't care what you did. I don't care what you didn't do. I'm interested in hearing, this is what God did. That's the testimony. This is what God did. And if you say this morning, I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I, don't, I can't think of a time where God has really done something like that. I don't feel like God... God's ever really changed my life. Listen, it's not automatic. You don't catch it like you do the flu. You got to ask Him. You've got to seek Him. You have to go before God and say, God, I'm stupid. Help me. I'm serious. God, I'm stupid. I've made some dumb decisions. And I need you. God, will you save me? I believe that Jesus died on the cross. Will you save me? Will you set my, right, will you set my life right? Will you give me the strength? Will you help me to be a follower of your son? Will you help me to be a follower of you? If you've never done that. See, it's not about the Roman road. It's not about praying the prayer that I give to you. Now say this exactly as I say it. That's hogwash. Don't get caught up in the method. Get caught up in the messenger. It's not about the words that you pray. You hit certain nice theological words and suddenly, bam, I'm saved. Woohoo! Let me get a t-shirt. I'm a member of First Baptist Church. You can be a member of First Baptist Church and still go to hell. It's about him. Him changing your life. It's about you being honest and saying, I've messed up. I want Jesus. I don't know anything else to ask for. Just God, take me the way I am. You know all the things that I've done. You know all the things I haven't done. I feel incomplete. I want to be complete in you. And I surrender my life to you. Bam! And if your, heart's, if your heart means that, and you believe that, and you trust in that, you are a saved individual. Period. It is that simple. But following Jesus is very, very hard. Because it's so easy to do evil. It's so easy to be wrong. It's so easy to be mean. What's your story? And is your story defined by Him? Has He changed your story at some point in your life. And listen, some of you, even in this moment, in this day, in this time, in this space, in this place, you need to have a come to Jesus moment right here and now. Because, yeah, there was a moment, you had that moment, woohoo! I'm a Christian. But now, as you look in the mirror and as others look at your walk, they're thinking, mm hmm, she was a Christian. What happened? See, you don't lose it. But you do lose the power of your witness. When you and I choose to give credence to the evil one. When you and I do the devil's bidding, first of all, we're going to get burned. And second of all, our witness is not going to be true. And that's what the world looks at and says, oh, that's just hypocrisy. No, that's just sin. That's reality. We are hypocrites. Welcome to First Baptist Church, a room full of hypocrites. Can we say that together? Welcome to First Baptist Church, a room full of... Ah, doesn't that sound great? Now that we've confessed our truth, we can move on.
Has God altered your story? Some of you need to have a come to Jesus moment. There was a point in time where you accepted Christ, but you've wandered away from it. He allows you to come back home like the prodigal son comes back to the father. But you have to make the decision. You have to get up out of that pew. You have to put, look, you put left foot forward and then right foot forward and left foot forward. And before long, it only takes like 20 times that you do this and you're down here. It's not about what you say to me. You just get on the knees and bow, and bow to the altar. Bow to Jesus. Pray to Jesus. I don't need to know your dirt. I don't need to know your filth. God knows your filth. He wants you to relinquish your filth to Him. The power of the cross. The power of Jesus Christ to change a life. Your story becomes His story. His story becomes your story. But has there been a change in your story today? If not, this invitation is for you. If not, as they come up and they sing the song, In Christ Alone, be careful what you're singing. Is your life really in Christ alone? Or is it in Christ with a bunch of other stuff? In Christ with a bunch of other stuff, my hope is found. He is the light, my... Let's just be honest. This invitation is for you to respond, to have your story altered, to have Jesus Christ come in and radically save you, to have Jesus Christ come in and redeem you, to take your story where it's been and take it to where it can go, to take your story if you faltered even after you've trusted in Him, if you want to be renewed in Him, your story can be changed, but not because you do it, not because you pop a pill here and pop a pill there, not because you go to a therapist per se, but because you sit with the great physician and you spend time with Him and He works in your life. No therapist is going to save you. No medication is going to save you. They may alter your behavior. They may help you in your physical and your emotional stability. But your spiritual stability rests in Christ and in Christ alone. Period. So what is it, folks? He's here. He's here for the taking. He wants you to come. He wants you to respond. He doesn't want your story to be stale. He doesn't want your story to be indifferent. He wants to radically change your life, your story, and make it his. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for this day, for the fellowship of what it means to be here in this place. Lord, as we uh, work in this invitation, God, as you have worked in our lives and as we respond to you, may we respond in obedience. As we sing in Christ alone, may it be in Christ alone. That's where our hope is found. God, no matter where we have been, no matter what our story has been involved with, no matter what shortcuts we've taken, no matter what journey or roads that, that have happened, no matter what dead ends we've arrived at, God, you give the opportunity today to radically intersect our journey. We don't have to go back. We don't have to go back to where we messed up and start over again. God, you plow a new journey, a new way, a new road. You make the impossible possible because you have not given up on us just as you had not given up on the human race. Every inclination of mankind was on evil, but yet you had won in the eyes of Noah. Noah found grace in your eyes. May we find that grace today. Speak to us. Help us to be obedient. And may our stories be changed by the power of Jesus Christ. This is God's moment for His glory. Will you stand? Will you respond? And will you sing?